0: I really feel a uh, blessing to be here one more evening uh, and to share the story of Israel with uh, you. Um, well, if uh, the other nights we talked about Israel in the past, in, as it is coming from the Bible, and uh, both covenants, the old and the new, tonight I'm going to dedicate this evening to the story of Israel Uh, as you see on the wall, where it says modern-day Israel. Uh, I spoke already about modern Israel in my first, first, first uh, session, but tonight um, I will lead you to the same destination, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tonight I'm going to uh, share with you the uh, prophetical, to show you the prophetical. Uh, scriptures that, uh, uh, that are saying that the nation, the people, uh, will come back to their land. Amen. And the establishing of the modern state of Israel in 1948. Um, and I will try to bring uh, tonight's presentation to uh, share with you the current uh, Israel, like up to date, very up to date. Um, So let's start. Uh, Yesterday I finished my presentation with the uh, fall of the last stronghold. I even mentioned the name Masada by the Dead Sea with the 967 uh, Jewish zealots that gathered on that mountain and when the Roman army was sitting around and they understood that it's only time that they will be taken, they decided to live their life as free people till the very end. And they took an act which, uh, uh, you know, was uh, taking their lives in their hands and leaving the world as free people uh, and not to fall and to become slaves under the Roman hands and with this, Uh, event, with this uh, 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 moment, Um, our ability to live our life in our land as free people uh, was suspended. And the suspension will go over 2,000 years till we'll be able to renew uh, our life as a free nation. Living in our land, the same land that God Promise Abraham Mm -hmm. to be there and uh, uh, as God said to Abraham that uh, his, uh, you know, people, his nation, his descendants will be like the seeds Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, uh, in the ocean and uh, so we did it. We came back in 1948 and we built uh, our state. Uh, I want to present a question. And the question is when do we really see the beginning of the modern state of Israel? Do we see it in 1948 or maybe in a different uh, time period, different year? Uh, Well, my answer will be we need to see the. way to the modern state of Israel 60 years prior to 1948. And 60 years before 1948, we are coming to the 80s of the 19th century. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to share with you those 60 years and what are the major events that are happening and leading the people to their land. <laughs> Please don't forget that our land, the land of Israel, the promised land, uh, is still occupied. And there were many occupiers who occupied the land since the fall of Masada. Romans and Byzantines and Muslims and Crusaders and Mamelukes and Ottomans. The Ottoman Empire controlled the land 400 years. 400 years. Um, It all began with the birth of the new movement, which is called Zionism, the Zionist movement. Um, The word Zion is another name of Israel. The word Zion is another name of Jerusalem. There's a place in Jerusalem called Mount Zion. So when we say Zion, when the Bible refers to Zion, the meaning is Israel. So uh, the Zionist movement is actually a new and modern movement (coughs) which uh, was born somewhere in the 80s of the 19th century with one goal. And what's the one goal of the Zionist movement? To help Jewish people to return to their land. <laughs> How many Jews lived in the land of Israel at that time? 100,000, not more. But there are millions. So where are all those millions? <laughs> they live in, still in exile. They still live in the diaspora, many of them in Europe. The Jewish community in the U.S. started to grow as well. In South America, in South Africa, in North Africa, you know, Arab countries like Morocco, Tunisia, Egypt, Australia, Russia. So you can technically you can find the Jews uh, around the world with a small minority holding the land, (laughs) but uh, under the empire. So the 19th century, the Turkish, the Ottoman Empire, is the occupier of this land. And here is a story of a Jewish man who was born in Europe and... um, lived in Vienna, Austria. His name is Herzl. You can see him up there. And he he's also known uh, in the Jewish history as the father of the Zionism, of the Zionist movement. Uh, Herzl, uh, even though he was a lawyer, he actually uh, graduated law school. He never practiced that. Instead of this, he... Uh, was working for a German paper. And in the year 1894, uh, they sent him to the city of Paris in France because something was going to begin there in Paris. So they wanted him as a journalist to witness that event in Paris or that case in Paris and then to come back and to make an article for the paper. And the uh, the case that he was sent to witness in Paris is known as the Dreyfus affair. And uh, it's named after a Jewish person, a French, a French um, uh, citizen. Uh, Alfred Dreyfus, a Jew, who was a captain in the uh, French army. And, uh, well, they had a traitor in the French army who uh, revealed secrets to Germany, who sold secrets to Germany. And uh, even though they knew very well in the uh, army of France, who is the traitor... They, uh, it was a conspiracy, and they wanted to you know, cover up uh, to protect their friend. <laughs> and they decided, instead of the real traitor, to accuse Alfred Dreyfus as if he was the traitor. And he was uh, charged for high treason. And the only reason why they put him on the podium of that court was... ...of being a Jew. How do we call this... ...if not anti-Semitism? Which is, by the way... ...till this very same day... ...going there in Europe... ...and other places. Uh, The fact that he was a Jew... ...was enough for them to take him... ...to put him on the court podium... ...and to charge him... ...and to, you know... accuse him for high treason to take all his savings that he uh, accumulated, Uh, he lost his ranks, and he was sent to the Devil Island to be in a prison. Uh, A short time later, documents started to be released in France uh, by French people. One of their leaders was a book writer, an author, uh, called Émile Zola, who published a document where he uh, actually uh, said it's all one big conspiracy. And he said who is the real you know, traitor, uh, which finally will lead to equate uh, to take all the acquisa- uh, accusations from Dreyfus and to release him, but once he lost everything, You know, he couldn't earn back what he lost. What happened to Herzl? He went back home. He published that article in the paper, but he also published another pamphlet, which is so important. And he decided to name this pamphlet the Jewish state. And he put his vision on that pamphlet. And if I want to summarize very quickly... That pamphlet, I will say, he, um, he not only put his vision on that pamphlet, he uh, built up the connection in modern times between the Jewish people that are sitting in the diaspora and their homeland. And he said there, there is only one land where the Jews will return there, they will feel free to build their life as free nation. And that's the land of Israel. Uh, He established a movement called Zionist movement. So he's known as the father uh, of Zionism, Herzl. And it's really amazing to take this paper and to compare it with what will be built 60 years later. Uh, as the state of Israel, and to see how smart was he. Wow. He is buried, by the way, in Jerusalem, as he asked to be buried. Now, what happened to Herzl? Unfortunately, he died when he was young. Um, and um, But before then, of course, before then, he was trying, uh, as long as he still had the energy, he was trying to convince the uh, Ottoman Empire and other leaders in Europe to uh, let it happen, to allow the Jews to return to their land, uh, they, they all refused. They all said no. Uh, so he died with uh, a lot of uh, uh, you know, uh, frustration, I can say. Uh, these are the words of Herzl. When he stood on the podium... Uh, in Basel, Switzerland, during the Zionist Congress, where he said, there is a land without a people, and the people without a land, the people without a land should return to the land without a people, which is describing in very good way the land of Israel at that time. Barren desert. The Ottomans, the Turks, soon are going to leave this land like, really dry with uh, uh, swamps and uh, desert and no trees. Uh, They went and they cut off all the forests that uh, were in Israel uh, for the trains that they were operating. So they are going to leave a kind of a disaster behind them uh, when they should finally leave Israel. Uh, he also, Herzl also, uh, you know, stood on the podium during another Zionist Congress when he read from Psalms 137, uh, the words that you know so well. Uh, the bond with Jerusalem. I will never forget Jerusalem. Um, What happened to the Turkish Empire? It was defeated. They were defeated by Great Britain during the First World War. So 1917, 1918, the end of the First World War, no more Turks controlling the land of Israel. Uh, Now we have new so-called occupiers, Great Britain. Uh, well, at that time in London, um, there is a prime minister, a British prime minister, who uh, loves Israel, who loves the Jews. He was a true Christian, knowing the Bible, the old covenant very well, and talking about Lloyd George. So what did he do? He sent his uh, minister of colonies, Lord Balfour, and they issued this document, this statement, and they handed it to a Jewish leader called Lord Rothschild. And I want to quote two uh, sentences from this document. His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine. Palestine is a name that the British used. Instead of saying Israel, they used Palestine. Of a n- national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. It is a recognition of the uh, one of the greatest... Uh, Uh, nations in the world at that time. Don't forget how many colonies were under Great Britain. And they said on this paper, on this document, we see in favor, we recognize the need of the Jewish people to go back to their land and to build their uh, state there, the Jewish state. It is called the Balfour Declaration. So it's another step towards getting the uh, uh, international recognition um, about the Jews coming back to their land. Now, um, from this moment, we can count 30 years that the British will hold this land. Uh, So in 1918, 1990, the number of the Jewish people in the land of Israel will increase to 200,000. The majority are still outside Israel. So 30 years, the British will control the land. It is called the British Mandate. I can take those 30 years and divide them into two chapters. So where do we see the turning point between the two? In 1935, and I can say that between 1918 and 1935, there is a lot of sympathy coming from London to the, towards the Jewish aspirations, as if they are saying, following the Balfour Declaration that they themselves issued, we will support your needs uh, and we will support you when you are coming back to your land. Uh, and and Jews started to come from where from Russia, from Eastern Europe, from Poland, from Germany. Till 1935, they came. So the number of the Jews increased to 300,000, <laughs> 350. But there are still millions. Outside Israel. What happened in 1935 in London? The government is changing and the policy is changing. And from being so supportive, so in favor, they took all the way the other side and they became very anti. And they stood with the Arabs against the Jewish aspirations. They wanted the Arab countries with the oil and all these stories to be with them. And not only this, they even published papers that said the opposite of what the Balfour Declaration was saying. They called them white papers. And what was there? The Jews have no right to enter to their land. And those that will try to do it will be either arrested or sent back to Europe, to the countries where they are. And that policy is going to remain like this till 1948 when they left. But don't forget what is coming. What is coming soon? Another war. The Second World War, which began... Is going to begin in 1939, September 1st. How many Jews lived worldwide before the war began? 18 million. Mm. So how many do we have in Israel at that time? 350,000? 400 at most? And beside them, there are also Arabs living here in the same land. So the vast majority in Europe, millions, Uh, Poland, just Poland in Europe had millions of Jews living there. And uh, the darkest chapter in the history of mankind is about to come. Uh, one-third of the Jewish nation, of the Jewish people, is going to be executed. Mm. Six million will be killed by the Nazi Germans during the Second World War. You know very well it is known as the Holocaust. Um, I grew up to... uh, two parents I was born to, two parents uh, who um, were born in Poland and uh, came to Israel in 1948. Uh, And I was born six years later. Um, And in Israel, by the way, uh, at that time, almost every house lived under the shadow of the Holocaust. Uh, Many of us were born to Holocaust survivors Uh, my mother was able with her family to uh, escape from Poland to Ukraine and to Kazakhstan. And they got saved, most of them. Uh, While my father uh, was sent to the ghetto of the city where they lived in Lodz, Poland. Uh, And um, in 1944, only a few months before the end of the war, he was put on the cattle cart on the train that was going to Auschwitz-Birkenau. You've heard the name, I believe, Auschwitz-Birkenau. And uh, he was uh, still young. He was uh, less than 18 with uh, his family. And a short time later, uh, they will be all killed. Uh, So that's where he lost his family and he survived alone. Um, and uh, when uh, he came to Israel, he came as a Holocaust survivor. And like him, many others will come. So I'm just giving you a short um, idea uh, of how we grew up in Israel with the shadow of the Holocaust and how six million Jews lost their lives uh, when they were taken their lives by the Nazi Germans during that time. Um, End of the war, 1945, Second World War. A lot of unrest also here in the land of Israel. Between whom and whom? Between the Jews and the Arabs. Um, And in 1947, while the British are still occupying the land, uh, the UN decided to uh, put an end to the ongoing conflict between the two groups. And uh, they said, let's put a plan on the table and let's vote for that plan. And it was November 29, 1947 and that uh, very even, that the same evening they put the plan which they named the plan of partition the word partition means dividing so they said to themselves if these two are fighting the jews and the arabs let's take the land and cut the land into two different parts and will give one part to the Jews and one part to the Arabs and they will be happy. It was their plan which can be also called the two states plan or the two state solution. Uh, And it was according to the UN a good uh, solution to the problem. Um, I would like you, if it's possible, to look to the map that they Offered to be a good solution, and to uh, to look to the map of Israel that I have here, and even without going into the small details, you will immediately see that there is a slight, not slight, there is a substantial change between a significant change between the map of Israel as it is here. With what they offered. So what did they offer? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The blue color. Will be the Jewish state. The. Orange color. Will be the Arab state. Jerusalem. Will not be under. Any state's jurisdiction. So you can see that. It's uh, painted white. They said, we'll take Jerusalem and we'll make Jerusalem under an international jurisdiction. You want a similarity of today? Like the Vatican in Rome. They will not have control over Jerusalem. They will not have control over Jerusalem. I don't know who will have. (laughs) This was the plan. Not only this. I told you on the first night that... All of this is quite a big desert area, <laughs> the Negev Desert. So you can see the generosity that came from the UN when they offered the Jewish state to be in that desert and to take all the lush area, the fertile, and to offer it to the Arab state. What a generosity. Generosity. UN in Israel is not called United Nation. UN in Israel is called United Nothing. <laughs> yeah. United nothing? Yes. That's right. um, who said yes? Who said no? By the way, they adopted the resolution. Thirty-three nations voted, you know, in favor, and it it passed, and it was adopted. Who said yes and who said no living here? The Jews said yes. Even though the desert was offered, the Arabs said no. And trust me, when you're waiting 2,000 years to have your recognition coming from the international community that you're entitled to build your state there, 2,000 years, you will say yes, even if you get the desert. And the Arabs rejected, and the next day, the war of independence began. What date? What date? It was November 30, 1947. And it is known as the longest war that Israel ever went through. A year and a half. How many Jews were, at the beginning of 1948 in Israel, 600,000. Wow. Uh, The War of Independence started as a a guerrilla war. What's a guerrilla war? When there was a bus loaded with passengers going to Jerusalem, the road was so little, so small, so narrow, Trapped between mountains, so the Arabs were sitting there shooting those buses going to Jerusalem. That's a guerrilla uh, like, guerrilla warfare. Uh, and this was till May 1948. And in May 48, we are coming to one specific day, which was Friday. May 14, 1948, 4 o'clock, 4 p.m., in Tel Aviv. And uh, the one who was chosen to be our first prime minister will proclaim the independence of the state of Israel. His name was David Ben-Gurion. Yes. You've heard the name. Yes. By the way, got a lot of support from Harry Truman, who was the president of the U.S., while the defense minister uh, objected Ben-Gurion's move by saying, don't do it. The Arabs will push you into the ocean. He was skeptical, while Truman really supported Ben-Gurion. And Israel was born, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. May 14, 1948, 4 o'clock p.m., 27 minutes later, we had a state in Israel. Thousands of people were waiting in the streets of Tel Aviv to hear the good news. And when they heard the good news, what did they do? They went dancing. When you, when you receive a state, you know, you're part of such a moment, you will go dancing. They were so happy. Egyptian airplanes flew above their heads, dropping bombs on them in Tel Aviv. Don't forget that the war didn't stop, not even for one second. Even during that event there were Egyptian airplanes flying in in Tel Aviv and attacking Tel Aviv. And the next day, it was May 15, 1948, Shabbat. Two big things will happen. Number one, the British decided to leave Israel. So the British mandate was terminated. The second thing is that Israel, look, who is Israel's neighbor in the north? Lebanon. Lebanon. Who is in the northeast? Syria. Who is in the east? Jordan. Jordan. Who is in the southwest? Egypt. And there is one more, Iraq, which is here. The next day, Shabbat, May 15th, five armies went against Israel. And uh, the war moved from a guerrilla to a global war. We didn't even had our IDF yet. We didn't even had our Air Force yet. We were, had to fight with uh, some Jewish undergrounds. Five countries around went against the baby that was born the day before. With 600,000 Jews living here. And this war will last till the end of March 1949. And ended up with a great victory. When the baby that was just born defeated the five armies who wanted to take the land from the Jewish people. The cost was very heavy. We lost 1% of our people. 6,000 men and women paid with their lives uh, to protect the baby, to protect our land. And uh, well, as the war came to an end... Uh, And the British are not controlling anymore the land. Now the land is controlled by us, by the Jewish people. The same sea which blocked the way for Holocaust survivors to come to Israel. And you know who blocked their way? The British. Is now open. And they started to come. Uh, And one of the first laws that was legislated in the Israeli parliament as the state was born is called the right of return. And the right of return is uh, a modern uh, tool which is giving the justification, the right to any Jew Wherever he lives, he or she, no matter who are the people, they can be rich, wealthy, they can be poor. They can be young, they can be old. As long as they don't have any kind of criminal record, (laughs) you know, behind them, the way to Israel is open for them. And what is this if not? Yes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. I told you that we are going to see tonight the fulfillment of these prophetical words that are, you know, talking about the Jewish people uh, coming back to their land. Mm-hmm. And they came from more than 100 countries. Wow. This is the Jewish diaspora. Uh, <clears throat> And of course, the number of the Jewish people in the land of Israel will increase very quickly. Mm-hmm. In the first years, during the first years, most of them were Holocaust survivors, but many others came. You name it, which uh, country in the world? Uh, as Zachariah uh, said. Uh, from the uh, East Country and from the West Country, technically from almost everywhere around the world, and uh, they started to build to build uh, the modern Israel. Uh, if I'll go back to uh, emphasize something else, uh, I will say, here on the map, you can see. The significant changing between what was offered by the UN and what Israel became after the War of Independence. So the map that you see on the right side is very similar to the map that you see here. It's much more completed. We have full control over the Galilee and over the Negev and the center part of Israel and now Jerusalem is connected and as you know Jerusalem is the capital of Israel so it is not under any other's jurisdiction or other's hands and whoever came uh, was working very hard to take the land that had so many swamps and uh Deserts, and to plant trees and to do whatever is needed uh, to uh, turn the color of this land to be much more green, much more green. So they dry up the swamps and they planted everywhere and they developed beautiful agriculture and they built homes and cities and <laughs> kibbutzes those agricultural uh, communities, and they built an army, the IDF, and they, you know, an air force to protect our land. Uh, Don't forget, they are around us. Um, And this uh, will bring us to um, speak about the 60s. So while building our life in uh, Israel during the 60's we will be disturbed from almost any border around us it will be the north it will be the east it will be the south Uh, if I'll be focusing on the north okay, this is where the border is you can see it on the map up there (laughs) which means that Israel didn't have the Golan Heights at that time. Syria was sitting here. And when they were on the Golan Heights, you can see the land of Israel from the Golan Heights so easily. You can decide what kind of life the people down below will have. And if you bring soldiers and you give them machine guns... you will turn the life of the people down below to a nightmare. Yeah. With building so many bonkers up there and aiming their guns against our people. And when you see water flowing in the Jordan River, you are building a diversion project to cut off the water and to steal water from Israel. And when the president of Egypt wanted to put all this area under unrest, he blocked the Suez Canal for transportation and he moved out from Sinai all the U.N. peacekeepers. So the question was not if, the question was when. The next war is going to and the next war broke on June 5th, 1967. But I want to take you back five years earlier. And here is a story about an Israeli man whose name was Eli Cohen. And he was uh, in the uh, Israeli intelligence And he knew Arabic very well. It was uh, his mother tongue. So he was chosen to be the Israeli spy sent to Syria to collect information. But he couldn't enter to Syria, you know, with his Israeli identity. Hello, I'm an Israeli spy. (laughs) I came to espionage. So what did he do? He was sent to Argentina. And there he built another identity. And with this identity, he came to Syria not as, not as an Israeli. And being so talented person, he became a very close friend with the regime in Syria. Also with the uh, generals in the Syrian army. And here is a true story. One day, they decided to come and to visit the soldiers, the Syrian soldiers who were in those bunkers on the Golan, Golan Heights. And it was summer, very hot day. And they invited Eli Cohen to, you know, be with them. They thought that he's their friend. And when they stood near one of these bunkers, And he saw how miserable are the Syrian soldiers who are baked, (laughs) toasted. Because of the heat in those bunkers, he came with an idea and he said to the Syrian generals, you have to provide something to make the life of your soldiers much better. Look how much they suffer." from the heat and when he was asked what do you offer he said shade how do we get shade they ask go and plant trees and they swallow the bite and they planted the eucalyptus trees <laughs> when they grow they are very tall near each and every bunker and two years later, he will sit in Damascus, transmitting to the Israeli intelligence, and the Syrian intercepted him and captured him. And hanged him. By the way, they never returned his body. His wife is still alive. She lives in Israel. And when the war broke on uh, uh, the 5th of June, 1967... He died, but the trees became very tall. So go and think how clear were the Syrian targets for the Israeli aircrafts (laughs) when uh, the war broke and it didn't take us six days. It took us two hours to crash the bunkers along the Golan Heights because we knew very well. We saw them. We knew where they were because of the trees. What a brave man. He is known as uh, our man in Damascus, as you can see there. Uh, And when the Six Day War came to an end, and it's called Six Day War, obviously, you know why. Yes, six days. Uh, All of a sudden, Israel was so much bigger than what Israel was before. Yeah. And so much land was added to Israel and controlled by Israel. Look what the difference between what Israel was before nineteen sixty seven, the map you know on the right side, <laughs> versus what Israel became after the Six Day War, uh, having Sinai having Samaria and Judea, called the West Bank, and having the Golan Heights under Israel's control. Mm -hmm. If you take just Sinai, it was three times bigger than Israel. Mm -hmm. So big. Uh, And we built uh, settlements in Sinai, in the Gaza area, in the West Bank, on the Golan Heights, And six years later, another war is going to uh, catch us. And that's a war when I was personally a soldier in the IDF and I was stationed uh, in the south, in the Suez Canal, the northern part of the Suez Canal. Uh, And uh, that's the war, which is called the Yom Kippur War. October 6, 1973. Uh, You know that Yom Kippur in English is known as the Day of Atonement. And for Jewish people, this is the most holy day that we have. And without going into the details of what is happening in Israel, I can say... That on that day, Israel is, um, Israel, every, everything in Israel is shut down. When I'm saying everything, I mean everything. Nothing is open. There are no uh, cars, no trucks, no buses on the roads. You can walk in the middle of a highway. You will not be hit by any car. And n- nothing is open. No radio, no TV, nothing. And uh, most uh, of the Jewish people will be in synagogues. And uh, we are also fasting on that day. And we, uh, and it was a, almost a military uh, tradition in the IDF to take the soldiers who served in the front lines and to send them home to be with their parents. So there is no need to be a general, I mean, to have military uh, uh, experience to understand that they couldn't choose a better moment to go against Israel. They specifically went against Israel on that day, which was the Day of Atonement. And when I'm saying they, I mean Syria from the north and Egypt from the south. The first three days of uh, this war uh, are known as the most critical days that Israel ever went through. If I will, and this is what I chose to share with you show you one of the battlefields in the Golan Heights, which uh, after the war will get the name the Valley of Tears. Uh, you can see a little fence in that picture. That's the Israeli side, and beyond, it is the Syrian side. So the way that the war began was when we are standing Defending Israel with 120 tanks. (laughs) That's all. And the Syrian army is coming with 1,000 tanks. And this is how the war began. There are so few on our side and so many on their side coming against us. And there are no words that can even describe those first three days of the war. God. Thank you. (laughs) And the few stopped the many. And I'm telling you, the few stopped the many. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Thank you. Uh, We had to pay a heavy toll. But the few stop the many. And I don't know what you see up there. I can tell you what I see up there. I see David and Goliath up there. I see how, you know, even though he mocked the God of David. And he cursed the God of David. The giant. David needed only one stone. Not more. He had a few more in his pouch, but he needed only one. So I can see up there, even though it is not the same battlefield, same, you know, same story. When the few stopped the many, and after three days, uh, the reserve army arrived, and it was a turning point that changed the war. The war lasted 18 days. And uh, at the end of the war, the Israeli army was so deep in Syria, close to Damascus. Um, A short time later, we pulled back the army and we built a serious fence around the Golan Heights to make sure that uh, it won't be the same like this. Um, I'm going to show you several more pictures of the uh, battlefield with some tanks that uh, are left there. It became a tourist site, a memorial site, enemy tanks. Um, Six years later, Israel made peace with Egypt. The same Egypt that went, you know, against Israel will come to a peace agreement with Israel 1978, 79. And do you remember Sinai, the big area? We gave it back to Egypt Mm, for that uh, peace uh, agreement. Mm. Another peace agreement will be signed in the 90s with Jordan. But here, there won't be any replacement or changing of territories, since the border remains the Jordan border. Um, Now, in the 80s, in the 90s, Israel is growing, and uh, the economy is growing. And we are taking more and more Jewish people. We never stop to bring them into their land. Only in the 90s, one million Russians, Jews, came from what was known before as the Soviet Union and came to Israel. So the population is growing and growing. Uh, This never stopped for even not a day to bring more and more Jews to their land. But in the 70s, something else happened. Uh, can you see where Jordan is? Yes. The king of Jordan at that time, Hussein, uh, had too much troubles from PLO terrorists who lived in his land, and he decided to push them out. What was the uh, name of their leader? Yasser Arafat. You've heard the name. Uh, so they were pushed out of Jordan. And they did, they took this route via Syria. And they found southern Lebanon to be a great place for them to settle down and to build their new camps in southern Lebanon. Why they picked southern Lebanon? Because Lebanon was a very weak Still today, very weak country, weak regime, too many problems there, Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, diversion between societies there, and uh, southern Lebanon was quite, you know, empty, piece of land. So the PLO settled down there, and with a short time later, they started to bother us from the northern border and to make terror attacks against Israeli innocent people, uh, almost every day. In 1982, the Israeli army said no more. So we went to southern Lebanon, just on the other side of the border, and we pushed the PLO from there uh, outside. And many of the murderers, the terrorists, Left Lebanon and uh, escaped to uh, Tunisia and Algeria, those countries. And in order to secure peace to our people in the Galilee, we had to keep a security zone in southern Lebanon, uh, and um, to keep thank you to keep our army there. So with our soldiers, we protected Israel by being on the other side of the border, like a security belt. This will continue 18 years. And in the year 2000, the Israeli prime minister at that time decided to pull back the Israeli, the IDF, the Israeli army, back to Israel. And between... 2000 and 2006 we will have kind of six years of quiet but at the same time a new group built their power in southern Lebanon and instead of the PLO the new terror organization is called Hezbollah you've heard the name yeah the word Hezbollah Uh, these are, these are Shiite Muslims who are fully supported, indoctrinized, sponsored, and armed by the mother of all Muslim Shiites around the world. And that's Iran. Iran is the biggest Shia country in the world. Iran. Iran. I don't need to talk much of Iran Uh, you know very well what their goal is. You know very well what they are running for to get. And they are even saying, we are building this to use it against Israel. Meanwhile, we will support the Shiite Muslims that are around Israel, like the Hezbollah and like the Syrian regime, and will smuggle a lot of uh, weapon and ammunition to their hands, including heavy rockets and missiles. So the door that they're using or the corridor that they are using is from Iran via Syria to Lebanon. And we are trying from Israel to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves by trying to intercept those night convoys and to uh, destroy them while they are still on the way and not when they are already in Lebanon. So when you hear in the news, and only two days ago, about a night airstrike, even though we don't admit, okay, but everybody knows that this is the Israeli Air Force that... uh, must do whatever they are doing in order to destroy these convoys before they enter to Lebanon and to the hands of the Hezbollah. This is the leader of that terror organization in Lebanon, Nasrallah. And look what uh, he's saying. Hezbollah says it has doubled It's arsenal of guided missiles aimed at Israel. And they have more than 150,000 rockets and missiles in southern Lebanon aimed against Israel. They only wait to get, you know, the order from Iran to do it. Um, This is uh, a taste of uh, what is happening in our area. It's just a taste. On one hand, we are trying to build our life and to develop the land and to build a st- uh, the, the state and uh, nice infrastructure. On one hand, we are trying to be the, almost the leading country in the world in high tech, in solving water problems, not just for us. Many countries in Africa, even though they have so much water, are coming to learn in Israel and from Israeli people how to farm the land with, uh, you know, uh, 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 that little water that we have So we are building a beautiful uh, medical system with uh, high-tech, with agriculture uh, and computers and all these modern things. On the other hand, we have to deal with so many issues around us. Do you remember the story of the Golan Heights? Yes? Yes. Uh, When you are in Israel, you then understand uh, the importance of keeping the Golan Heights <laughs> under Israeli hands. Yes. Yes. It is... I mean, it's not a question. It's yes. permanent. It's, yes. um, the Golan Heights was annexed to Israel and became part of Israel in 1981, according to Israeli law. Which means that only Israel... Uh, recognized just Israel, recognized the Israeli law on the Golan Heights. The rest of the world didn't recognize that. <laughs> Till Donald Trump. your latest president was in the office. He, yes. And, he and when he, he was right. in the office, <laughs> he yes? He Sorry? Right. Sorry. Stopped. Your president. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking politics, you know, and uh, uh, he, 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 he promised yeah. and he did two major things that we in Israel were so grateful yeah. for what uh, he not only talked like other presidents they used to talk, he also made it to happen. Yes. Yeah. And one was his statement about the Golan Heights. And what is the he said? That from now on, the U.S. policy about the Golan Heights is that it's Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. And our prime minister was also so thankful and grateful to uh, President Trump so he decided to establish a community on the Golan Heights and to name this community Trump Heights. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And what was the other promise that he did? The other promise that he did that he uh, yeah, was to move the embassy from Tel Aviv which is not the capital of Israel, to Jerusalem, the eternal capital. And uh, let me tell you the good news that when the U.S. embassy was moved to Jerusalem, there are already several other countries that also moved their embassy to Jerusalem. I wish that you could be in Jerusalem in those days to see how the streets were decorated Mm -hmm. and how much was given back to President Trump for what he did. Uh, And this is, of course, uh, the logo on the embassy in Jerusalem and became a tourist attraction. (laughs) So almost uh, every group, when they are visiting Israel, they are taking group pictures, you know, standing uh, beside the embassy in Jerusalem. And uh, with this, they are flying back home uh, so for many groups it's a way to end their visit in Israel um, this will bring uh, my presentation tonight's presentation to an end but here is something else that I want to uh, add I would like to kind of To leave for you an open invitation to come to israel we hope you enjoyed this message by word of life church we just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapapka.com. from our youtube channel to our podcast to our soundcloud and many more events we also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages and it helps us too that if you would love to give